0: Hello and welcome to the Esports Observer podcast. Every episode, we discuss the most game-changing developments, exciting opportunities, and pressing challenges facing the competitive video gaming ecosystem. My name is Graham Ashton. In this episode, I'll be speaking with the senior management team for one of the oldest and most well-known esports organizations, Dignitas. Having competed in gaming competitions for the last 15 years, Today the brand sits under the Harris Blitzer sports and entertainment umbrella, effectively a sister team to the Philadelphia 76ers, New Jersey Devils and Crystal Palace Football Club. There are seven rosters of professional players signed under the Dignitas banner, in games including Rocket League, Clash Royale and Counter-Strike, the latter of which stands as one of the most accomplished female rosters in the game's history. Dignitas also used to compete in the League of Legends Championship Series, and although it did not get accepted into the League's franchise-style system in 2017, next year it'll be back in Riot's LA studio, having acquired the Clutch Gaming roster and franchise spot currently hosted by the Houston Rockets. You can bet we're going to dive into Dignitas's strategy for League of Legends, as well as all its other games, along with its current business plans and partner strategies. To give us a tour, I have Heather Garazzo, Vice President of Marketing for Dignitas, who was also a Counter-Strike competitor for nearly two decades. We're also joined by James Baker, Manager of Business Development and a former professional Heroes of the Storm player. Before we begin, just a reminder as always that if you have a particular topic or recommended guest for the Esports Observer podcast, reach out and let us know at either podcast at esportsobserver.com or you can message me directly by connecting on LinkedIn, or you can find me on Twitter at Graham underscore underscore Ashton. For now though, why don't we dive into the discussion? So the first thing I have to do, Heather, James, I want to thank you both very much for taking some time joining on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you both.
1: We're happy to be here. Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, great to be
0: here. Before we get into Dignitas uh, and its history and its future presumably. I just want to start by going over a recent esports event and at the time of recording I think there's not really much else we can talk about except for the Fortnite World Cup which took place last weekend. I mean it's been on the front of every front page from mainstream media to esports media. don't know if you heard but a bunch of teenagers won three million dollars uh, that seems to be the prevailing narrative but I'm curious to get like uh, your your kind of a reaction now that the dust has settled what did you think of the events and the broadcast do you think epic games can kind of match the hype uh, when it rolls around next year
1: yeah i mean you know what a spectacle it was first off um you you couldn't hide from it um everywhere i looked on social on uh, news it was there and you know what a great marketing <laughs> tool that is um you know you couldn't look away from it in fact that was at an event in oceanside california and ton of like 12 year olds running around playing games and they're just like Fortnite world's cups on. Are you guys watching? this is amazing. Um, it was all the hype, certainly exciting. The numbers were incredible that came out of it. Um, love to see young kids, love to see the families that supported them, you know, running on stage, or there's the great video of the Argentinian player after where his dad's holding him and he's crying, you know, what an incredible story for these kids. And the numbers that, that came out of
2: it were just fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from a fan perspective, I think this is arguably one of the best events esports have ever had. The reported figures, I think, were something like 2.2 million peak concurrence. It broke a Twitch record uh, for the most concurrent viewers on esport ever uh, with around 1.3 million. Crazy, crazy event. To the, the second part of your question, which is, can they match it next year? I think it's a very tough act to follow. Um, but considering the, the hiring of Nate Nanza, uh, the former Overwatch League commissioner, I actually think that we could be seeing an even more successful year for Fortnite uh, coming up.
1: And I think also what's exciting is I think there's going to be some professional esports players that jump ship into Fortnite. Uh, you see that with Salm. So he finished second. He was a former Heroes of the Storm player that James knows very well, having competed against him. Um, he left Heroes um, before it died off and to pursue Fortnite. And I think we're going to see that with other games too. And
0: to to look at it from a, from a kind of a commercial perspective as well, one of the interesting things is um, – that the event didn't have any sponsors, it didn't have any linear TV deals, despite the amount of mainstream attention it got. Uh, it did stream not just on Twitch, but I think on 33 platforms total, if you look at kind of the global spectrum. And so now the big question is, you know, with the Fortnite uh, champion series that they've announced is what are Epic going to do in terms of commercialization? Because in many ways, they're, they're perfectly capable of continuing as is, I think really like the the amount of attention Fortnite gets and the amount of money it can generate is enough to, to kind of keep it going. But obviously for the competitors, you know, no one uh, a player can't win $3 million every week. What are your thoughts on the different ways they might create a sustainable revenue system within the game?
2: It reminds me a lot of League of Legends in 2013, uh, which is when Riot launched the LCS, where they didn't have a single sponsor and it was all about promoting the game um, and kind of a marketing exercise for League of Legends rather than the LCS as its own product as an eSport. I think that's exactly what Epic have done with Fortnite so far. Um, in terms of a model for commercialization, I think the opportunities are unlimited. Cosmetics are obviously the main driver of revenue in Fortnite, and we know how many of their players love to grab their skins and represent their favorites in games. So I think... For me, I'd love to see them go kind of a different route and look more towards in-game um, items and events than the traditional out-of-game that we see in esports.
1: From the team perspective, you know, um, in marketing, obviously, I would, I'd love to see, um, you know, loosen some of the restrictions they had on, you know, various like sponsor logo placements for the teams and their jerseys. The, the teams want to support these players, but obviously it's, it's much harder to, to bring in partners if the logos aren't going to be displayed anywhere. So hopefully they they loosen some of the restrictions there um, so that these players are supported year-round and and not just making uh, money off the prizes a few times a year.
0: I think you've seen some kind of sponsorship activations like with... um Team Solo mid and the Chipotle house, but that's always been based more on the influencer side of things. And I think if they want to transition it to a full-on competition, it's time to start taking a few pages from some of the other esports out there. And now let's um, let's dive into Dignitas. So I think just to get everyone up to speed uh, to start off, could you give us a quick professional background on yourselves um, and particularly your, your pathway into esports? I know it goes quite far back for both of you.
1: Sure, so I'm the VP of marketing at Dignitas. I've been with Dignitas for about two years now. Uh, I was previously our women's Counter-Strike team manager and I do have a traditional marketing background. So a few months into it, Dignitas said, well, you're a little more your a traditional manager. Um, so they brought me on to the marketing role. Um, prior to that, I've had a number of odd jobs in esports as well as being a professional player in Counter-Strike. In 2012, I won the Women's World Championship and, and I've competed in over 200 events. And I believe that's the most for any female gamer, not just in Counter-Strike, but in, in all eSports. So uh, I've been around the block. Um, I've done as many odd jobs as you could imagine, from journalist um, to even doing streaming, some PR. Um, I also do Counter-Strike observing. So I've been doing that for several years now.
2: So I started out as a player. Uh, playing Heroes of the Storm way back in 2014. I joined Dignitas in 2015. At the time of my retirement from Heroes of the Storm, I was the most successful Western player. Uh, I won four European championships and one international event. And from that, I moved more into a kind of influencer role with Dignitas at first and managing on the side. And I quickly found that managing an esports team and, and working in one was a huge passion for me. Uh, so I was able to transition into uh, my current role as business development manager, uh, where I work primarily on leveling up our our revenue streams and commercialization specifically for merchandise and website.
0: This might be a big question to ask, but I'm curious to, if you could explain perhaps for our, our non-endemic listeners uh, or those maybe not familiar with some of, some of the older esports teams, what the backstory on Dignitas is. When was the organization started? What have been some of the the highlight moments in its run? And and what has kind of its most recent um, sort of achievements been in that
2: sense? Yeah, that is a a great question and something we love to talk about at Dignitas because Dignitas was founded um, on September the 9th of 2003. Um, And that means that we're almost 16 years old. Last year, we celebrated our 15th anniversary uh, which makes us, I think, one of only two or three esports teams to do so, and we have such a long history. So we have 18 world championships plus 34 world championships. The first was actually um, won in 2005, and the most recent is 2019. In terms of you know big moments in, in the history of Dignitas, we've obviously got one that's been more relevant recently uh, of signing the team called Lock Solid which was our pre-LCS League of Legends team, uh, featuring Skara, I'm a Cutie Pie, Boy, uh, and all those great names. Um, We were obviously the first team to be acquired by a traditional North American sports team uh, when the 76ers acquired us in 2016. I think we've competed in, I think, 21 uh, esports titles, uh, obviously including Call of Duty, CSGO, League of Legends, Dota 2, StarCraft. And we've had some of the most successful names in esports uh, pass, through, pass through the Dignitas doors. So as I mentioned earlier, we've got some great names from League of Legends. Uh, Shifter, Jack, Crumbs, uh, even Call JJ. actually. Uh, we've got some huge names in CSGO, including many of the current Astralis members like Device and Zipnix and Carrigan. I think we have the most successful Rocket League team of all time. So Violent Panda, Turbo Pulse and k they broke records uh, for winning the most uh, games in a row and also winning the most world championships. And yeah, most recently, uh, I think our most recent success was with our, our CSGO women's team uh, who became the back-to-back world champions at the Intel Challenge Katowice this year.
0: And in terms of the you know organization's uh, identity, I mean, would you say it's something that has been you know consistent th- throughout the years? I know you went through a significant rebranding recently, but in terms of what the how the organization has always positioned itself switching from different games, has, has it always kind of kept like a kind of a core ethos or a core uh, message behind it.
1: Yeah, I mean we've you know we we like a diversity in our game choices. So we've been in tier one esports like CS:GO and League of Legends, but we've also been well known for supporting those smaller esports um, like Heroes of the Storm, for example, various fighting games. Um, so we're really about breadth and, and depth in our games. We think we have a, a great track record for building champions. We think we're fantastic at scouting players. Many of our players that have started at Dignitas went on to do absolutely incredible things. And and that's something we're very proud of. We're very proud of our our scouting and our training programs.
0: Uh, One of the first things I I want to talk about, which is probably one of the the big pieces of news for Dignitas was that come next year, you'll be assuming uh, control for lack of a better word of clutch gaming uh, for the league of legends championship series. So just to kind of get a bit of background behind that, you know, when, did the talks begin with the team's previous owner, the Houston Rockets, and the process of of kind of bringing that team into the dignitas fold?
2: Yeah, so getting back into the LCS has always been a top priority for us uh, ever since not making it in the first round of uh, franchising in 2017. Um, throughout the past two years, we've been in constant communication with Riot about the steps that we can take to be invited back to the LCS and how to better position organization for that. In spring of this year, that opportunity came up uh, with the Houston Rockets, and it seemed like a perfect fit for us. League of Legends is such a such a great esport, and one where Tus was really solidified as, as a Tier 1 org. The Houston Rockets are still involved. They are still going to work with us on esports, and we're really excited about uh, where we can go with this franchise
0: it's it's interesting you you the way you describe league of legends is if we look at how the league will be shifting next year you know we're potentially seeing you know three of the, those teams that did not make the initial franchising round coming back into the fold so obviously immortals gaming club is come back in through the acquisition of Optic. Uh, obviously, it's not yet confirmed, but there's reports you know that Echo Fox will be sold uh, to a new owner. What is it about North American League of Legends in particular that kind of commands this kind of commitment and, and, and financial investment for for teams that had a history in it already to bring themselves back and re-establish themselves with that fan base?
2: Yeah, as I touched on earlier, uh, League of Legends is... The biggest esport in the world. Uh, It's the most viewed. I think the the 2018 World Championship had some insane statistics, like 19 languages, 30 platforms, 100 million unique viewers, 44 million concurrent. And those kinds of numbers are just too big to ignore. In terms of North America specifically, uh, we're a North American organization, and we have a very strong belief in North American esports. Um, and the development of that as we move forward. And that's also where our history is in League of Legends. There were definitely opportunities where we could have looked to other leagues, but North American LCS was was the top priority for us.
0: You mentioned before that the Houston Rockets are, are still involved in esports and you're still working in them. But at this point in time, you know, how involved is Dignitas in the day-to-day operations with the team in, in its current branding you know what will be the big changes come next year in terms of staff facilities etc
1: when we acquired the the team I guess that was kind of late June um, we immediately brought in some of our staff so um, our CEO Michael Prindeville is in uh, essentially day-to-day talks at the teams he's based out of Newark but He's been spending the majority of his time here in Los Angeles. I am also sitting alongside the team as the VP of Marketing in Los Angeles, and we actually will be moving James Baker over from the UK to Los Angeles to to help um, with our training and development program. So we've already taken a number of steps to include Dignitas staff, into uh, Clutch and um, we have some, from a marketing and and content perspective, we have some really exciting plans over the next couple months. We know that a good majority of our followers across social are dormant League of Legends fans and we're excited to engage them again. Um, But we are essentially running the day-to-day already with a number of the previous Clutch staff still assuming their roles.
0: Obviously, with when Dignitas was acquired by the Philadelphia 76ers, there's always this assumption that the esports team will take kind of the, the local identity of the sports team that acquires it. But for teams, this kind of tends to differ between different organizations. And in this case, as you said, you have offices based in Newark. Obviously, Harris Splitter Sports Entertainment, the kind of parent company, has teams in lots of different markets. And of course, the League of Legends team we based in Los Angeles. Would you say that Dignitas is not really kind of bound to one city? That it's more of what you would describe as a, a global esports organization, or, or as James put it at one point, a North American esports organization?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're certainly global in the sense that um, you know we have about forty percent of our fans are European, with the remaining uh, mostly North American. We do still compete with a few european teams so our rocket league team is european as well as our smite team um, that being said um, we are trying to localize our our efforts in, in terms of at least where we produce content where our staff functions out of um, so newark we we just built our headquarters um, that opened up in june um, with clutch gaming and our league of legends teams we do obviously need to be based in los angeles due to that's where they compete. Um, But we are trying to centralize some of our efforts in terms of where we we live and we function. That being said, we still plan to to look at um, marketing efforts on a more global scale
0: speaking of centralizing uh one of the big announcements from dignitas recently was opening your production studio and your training center adjacent to the prudential center which of course is owned by uh, the new jersey devils uh sort of sister team as you will to dignitas if you had to tell someone kind of outside the industry why an esports team needs a space like this where, where players can go and train what would you say what's kind of like the sell of this kind of space
2: So mental and physical well-being are two of the most important things to any athlete, be it from a traditional sports background or esports. So one of our biggest focuses with this space is making sure that we're giving our players um, the best possible resources to improve so that they can go out there and, and win championships. But it's also about providing more value to our partners. We've been noticing recently that Brands are putting less value in simple logo placement and putting a lot more focus on experiences and content. That's something that we can really excel at in our new space. And especially with the Caffeine Studio, uh, which is a 400 square foot space with top of the line PCs, 4K cameras and all of the production equipment that we need to produce daily shows and content.
0: I like that you brought up caffeine because obviously they're one of the companies that's making quite a splash in esports. There's a number of teams now uh, that have partnered with them in a way that we haven't seen with with a streaming platform, you know, for some time. Just from your your point of view, what does this particular platform bring to the space, and and what does it provide at Dignitas in in terms of content creation and engagement? Obviously, the studios is, is a great example, but what else is there is that people should should keep in mind in terms of how an esports team can work with this company?
1: So with Caffeine, um, we are now producing weekly live shows with the majority of our teams, and soon we'll have all of our teams. So I think that's something unique in the space that other teams aren't doing. Um, These will be live either from our studio or produced from our studio and you get to see our, our, our players, how they interact outside of the game. For example, our women's Counter-Strike team has the Digna Talk Show. And they go through a list of topics, whether it's related to CSGO. I think they're going to touch on Fortnite this week. Um, and you get to see their personalities and their take on different things. Um, you know, Caffeine also has this really great feature that we're, we're just loving. Is, is co-hosting. So we can pull up a, a DreamHack Counter-Strike match And our captain, Emily, could talk over that match with their audience. And she could break down a strat and analyze why it's a good strat or what she would do differently. Also, since Caffeine is owned by 21st Century Fox, um, they have the rights to a number of different traditional sports broadcasts. So, you know, our players are our fans of baseball and golf and soccer. And we can we can co-host traditional sports through Caffeine. And essentially, have viewing parties with our audiences, and we think that's something very unique to caffeine. And our our players and our fans are excited about doing that. They want to watch sports with sports or esports with their their audience. I think it's a great feature.
0: I mean, what what's quite interesting is um, the LCS recently announced its partnership with Caffeine, and we haven't seen western league of legends partner with a streaming platform or a new streaming platform for some time and like you said they're, they're going through the same route co-streaming the weekly matches allowing the way they put it forward is that uh you know aspiring casters could use this as a method to kind of almost do demo reels or, or something like that what, what is the kind of the potential you see for for, for competitions to, to use uh caffeine as as a new way to kind of reach their
1: audience essentially it, it- broadens the audience so instead of watching a league of legends match by myself i can watch it with my fans and we actually have plans to do that with our academy team for example when our lcs team is competing on stage we'd love for our academy players to live host that and talk about it they're sitting next to the lcs team while they practice and they can add some unique insight that you're not going to get anywhere else you're not going to get that on the the main broadcast, but you can come to the Clutch Gaming, eventually Dignitas broadcast and and watch with those players that know Hooney and they know DeMonte very well.
0: Yeah, that's quite quite interesting. To to go back to something that you said a bit earlier, you were talking about the way the uh, female CSGO team of Dignitas will use the platform. And of course, I, I, I wanted to definitely touch on on that particular squad, because uh, I recently uh, interviewed them for an article we put on the Esports Observer and um, one of the questions I, I asked them is that we don't really see many esports organizations position their women rosters the way Dignitas does, where they're you know very central to the brand. They're a key part of what makes Dignitas. Dignitas. And uh, just from your perspective, obviously as a, a former player yourself and, and someone who ma- who has helped manage that team, what has allowed the Dignitas squad to become a key esports asset for the company?
1: Um, honestly, we don't see. You know, any difference between our female team and our League of Legends team, the way they train, the way they practice, the way they approach the esport is identical. Um, We think they deserve everything that our other teams do and and we treat them as such. So um, just like um, our League of Legends teams might work with a sports psychologist, nutritionist chef, we provide that to our women's team as well. And we see that in their results. Um, They are the only female back to back world champions. Um, beyond that, they are incredibly brand-savvy. They're, they're very smart about their content, about their audience. They are incredibly wonderful to work with, with our partners. So, for example,
2: um, Mountain
1: Dew has created a five-part docuseries on the team called In The Moment. And the Mountain Dew is following around our team to show, you know, how do they prepare for a competition, um, what are they doing? How, did, how are they feeling on stage before and after event? Um, they even followed us around during a media tour and doing boot camp a couple of weeks ago. So they are incredibly valuable for our brand and for our partners, and um, we will continue to treat them as such.
0: Obviously, we've seen, you know, great development in terms of how esports is creating more opportunities for women players. But just from your perspective, um, you know, obviously, it's, it's difficult to predict with esports because it moves incredibly fast and the industry doesn't look the same one year as it does the last. But what do you imagine in, say, five years or so when it comes to opportunities for female players? What do you think the space will look like?
1: You know, it's been a slow process over the years. They used to be the only woman in the room. And now when I go to event, there's tons and tons of, of women. The the percentages are going up. For example, our fan base right now on our dignitas social account is 38% women. That's absolutely incredible. And I think over the next five years, those fans are gonna start translating into players and then from players into competitors, and then from competitors hopefully into stars. I want to see women competing on the, the biggest of stages. And I think you know our, our women's Counter Strike team is a good example of the steps it takes to to be a top player. And I hope one day, you know, maybe you don't even need to see female teams one day. Hopefully, you see uh, the best teams in the world maybe have a female because she's simply the best player available. And um, I think we're we're starting to to take those steps to to show. That there's opportunities for women, not just as fans, maybe not just as players, but even working in the industry. Like think this is a great example. We have a number of women on our, our staff and and our executive management. So, um, the the opportunities exist right now. Actually, I think it's more about realizing that and and showing women that that you both can compete and you can work in the industry.
0: The what you said at the end there with um having a mixed roster is the ideal image, and of course with with esports you know, being kind of this uh, what should be a gender neutral sport in a sense. Uh, that should be the the case, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that realized as well. To turn to another roster, obviously, we met, talked a bit before about um, your Rocket League roster and how um, competitively successful it has been. Right now, Rocket League is, is very much poised for success and for a lot of growth in the future. We talked a bit about Nate Nance obviously joining Epic Games to lead The Fortnite initiative, but of course, with Epic Games' acquisition of Psionics, there's now a huge opportunity for that that game to grow. Not to mention, and we published this just uh, yesterday, the game has finally been approved in China for for monetization it's actually been out in beta in the country for 2 years but um unfortunately sionics and and it's distributed 10, 10 cent couldn't actually earn any money off of it now that um now that they can that means that the the esports scene there can finally grow i think already some chinese squads have some teams uh maybe if you wanted to take this one James where do you think this particular game will go in the future do you think it is going to be this this sleeper hit esport that a lot of people think it will be
2: yeah i mean i think the the biggest asset that rocket league has is that anybody in the world can start watching and immediately understand what is going on and what the objective is. And I don't think that's something you can say about any other esport. I think the the potential for Rocket League is huge, uh, both in terms of the mainstream and the endemic esports audience. And considering Epic's kind of different approach to Fortnite and, as we mentioned, the hiring of Nate Nanza, I think it's anyone's guess uh, as to how the game proceeds. But, we are absolutely confident in its success. And we're really excited to see what happens.
0: Mm. I think one of the most interesting things about the game is, it's just something an observation is uh, if you look at the most recent, uh, you know, world championship or final it, we had both a team from uh, FC Barcelona. And of course we had team Renault Vitality. So you have one, one company that is a a, a motorsport brand and another is a traditional uh, soccer team. And both of them can get involved in this game in a, fairly natural way uh from from dignitas point of view do you also see any potential there in terms of bringing on you know uh, uh, say uh, an automotive sponsor or or, uh, or 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 kind of involving a ch- the more of the traditional sports side from from the harrison blitzer sports entertainment family
1: yeah definitely i mean from you know anything you can imagine related to automotive we're probably talking to them in terms of partnerships whether it be oil or cars or tires we we are certainly aiming for that um we're very interested in you know possibly selling like um naming rights for the team similar to what Renault Vitality does so that's definitely on the table and something we're aiming for in the coming months
0: nice we'll watch that space then speaking of uh you know some of the other brand partners you have Champion uh which is the apparel partner of Dignitas has obviously been quite committed to esports now with quite a few partnerships across multiple teams and leagues and this is the big question everyone has the last episode we did was with Cloud9 and the head of marketing for Puma and of course you know we wanted to dig down into that question of you know what does a professional esports player wear do they wear kind of uh, athletic wear do they wear more streetwear brand and when it has come to Dignitas partnership with Champion you know how have you adapted the kind of uh, traditional image of that company to the Dignitas brand, to what the players want to wear? What, what's kind of been the, the the approach there?
2: Yeah, I think what you mentioned in the question there about Champion being a bit on the athletic side and a bit on the streetwear side as well is, is kind of the key. So Champion, obviously, back in the 90s was one of the biggest athletic brands ever. And in recent years, they've had an amazing resurgence as, as a streetwear and lifestyle brand. And so together with Champion, we've been kind of merging that. So we've had um, our Champion Core hoodie, uh, which features the DiggingTusk logo, Champion down the arm, and DiggingTusk wordmark on the hood. And that has sold amazingly well. Uh, We actually had it listed on on the Champion.com website um, and sold out within two weeks. So there's been an amazing confluence here. Uh, Not only that, but we actually Champion... I uh, partner with Footlocker, uh, along with Dignitas and a few other esports teams to actually get these esports items into over 200 Footlocker and Champs stores, as well as the Champs Sports website uh, all across the US and Canada. So that is one of the, one of the most exciting uh, esports developments of the past year, I would say
0: and I mean that's always the question with the with the apparel brands entering esports you know is it that push for for retail that push to get to get these products out there or is it always at least for the moment maybe kind of a the first year of the deal more of a an exploratory pathway but in this case you know champion were I assume quite quite eager to get these uh you know in physical stores and and and, and easier access to the players
1: yeah definitely they're eager to do so and the the clothing that they designed was essentially the streetwear, where um, we think a lot of the people that were buying it may not necessarily be fans of esports or fans of Dignitas, and and that's okay. You know, we think we made some great products that that people simply just want to wear. Um, but it does, you know, I actually went to the store myself and. Both times that I walked in the store, there were parents there um, from different teams buying the clothing because they said, well, this is what they expect. They expect uh, if your son or daughter plays on a professional, essentially a sports team, like you can go into the store and buy it. So they, they love to see that the, the parents were buying it up. The friends and, and family were buying it up as well.
0: One other uh, sponsor I want to touch on is, and we did mention it earlier, of course, is, is Mountain Dew, which has remained a sponsor of, of Dignitas uh, since 2017. And, and obviously, a huge part of that is the, the you know the content ideas you create. Uh, but I, I'm curious to know, you know, what has allowed this partnership to endure? How much is it in terms of a give and take relationship in terms of coming up with content concepts and and, and different ways to activate the brand year after year?
1: Yeah, Moundu has been fantastic to work with. They um, are very curious about our audience. They're very open to our ideas with content. We knew that the docu-series called In the Moment would be a great uh, gateway for for people that want to understand esports, not just Dignitas, not just our female partnership team, but they want to understand what is involved in being a professional esports team. Moundu really believed in that content, so did we, and we were able to build that great series together. We've also collaborated on a number of different events. And I think there's some great crossovers between esports and extreme sports. So, for example, we've been to the past three do-tour events. So two of those were in Long Beach. Those were skateboarding competitions, and they served as qualifiers for the Olympics. So we brought some of our teams there. They got to meet with the athletes. We created some content together. Um, and then we also did one in Breckenridge, Colorado, and that was for the Winter Olympic qualifiers. And we did some IRL streaming from there. We played PUBG with some of the athletes. Um, but those athletes liked to game in their free time, and, and they were just ex- as excited as we were. They loved meeting pro sports players, and we loved meeting professional athletes. But it created really interesting content um, that reached multiple fan bases.
0: It's always a strange assumption, isn't it, that that professional athletes don't game in their spare time? Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: As we mentioned before, Dignitas was the first US esports team to be acquired by a US sports team, and obviously, there's been a lot of kind of ups, and I would assume maybe some downs in terms of the how the organization's progressed, and a lot has changed with both Dignitas and its parent company. But nevertheless, you know, Harris Harrisplitter Sports Entertainment has been committed to esports and, and committed to, to owning an esports property. And and if you can speak to them, you know, what is it that, that that company continues to see in in esports, in particular, in in having a team in this market?
1: Sure. So um, you know, HPSC since I've joined, it's been obvious that they're essentially in the. Forefront of innovation, always on the hunt for new opportunities, not just in sports, but also in entertainment. So, for example, the 76ers have this innovation lab in Philadelphia, and it's like a startup incubator for various technologies and services. So for they actually um partner with u.gg, which is one of the top websites for League of Legends and Analytics and Champion builds. Um, and then even today, HBSC announced that one of their startups, Streammetrics, just released their new platform for audience measurement. Um, so HBSE is is big on uh, innovation, emerging technologies, new forms of entertainment. And essentially, eSports and Dignitas ticks all of those boxes. Um, so we're really fortunate to work with this partner. Um, we're excited that it, for them, it's not just about the team, but again, it's about these technologies and, and other tools that can help support not just Dignitas, but the industry as a whole.
0: Uh, well, obviously, one of the big uh, topics at the moment is kind of uh, building out the infrastructure for esports teams, public facilities, own stadiums, etc. And we've seen Dignitas kind of take that first step with its own kind of training center and studio. What is kind of the vision there in terms of what the team would like to have in terms of a public space that the players can come and interact? Would you ever look towards uh, a stadium or, or at least uh, some kind of public venue? Or do you think that it's still too early days in terms of where the market is right now?
1: Well, actually, um, you know, while you can't necessarily walk uh, into the Dignity stores any day, um, we have made it uh, public facing. So we have started hosting monthly Super Smash Brother Ultimate events there. So we're going to do some tournaments out of our office. Um, We're going to be having viewing parties. Hopefully our team is competing at Worlds, so our League of Legends team won't be there. But if they don't make it, we're going to have our team there. We're going to invite some fans to come watch Worlds together. We think there's a, a lot of opportunity for various community events. Um, I think there's um, you know great strides we could make in terms of Youth, uh, youth camps that we can bring in maybe local universities or high schools. So while that is our, our day-to-day office, we do want to make it a space where, where our fans and, and the community can come and, and, and compete out of or play from or create content from.
0: Fantastic. So just to close out the episode, uh, I have a set of three questions which I like to think of are a temperature gauge on the esports industry, where it's going, uh, what, what obstacles lies in its way, And the first one of these questions is simply, what is the greatest challenge facing the esports industry at the moment?
2: Yeah, so the answer here is probably franchising. um, And more specifically, how the franchised esports leagues tie back to the games that they are played in. So if you look at Overwatch League and League of Legends, they are both based on hugely successful games. How will those leagues adapt Um, over time as the games age will the leagues have a significant impact on the life cycle of those games and with the upcoming call of duty league how will those yearly uh, releases affect the esport i think there's a lot of questions but likely there are some answers they'll be hugely beneficial uh, for esports as a whole once they're answered
0: It's interesting because i think when people when franchising first took place everyone kind of assumed well this is a no-brainer you know if it it makes sense that esports would go the route of traditional sports and unlocking you know sustainable revenues and building an ecosystem that can progress but of course the big difference is you know uh, American football or or basketball doesn't go through these yearly changes, monthly changes. Uh, and, and obviously it never quite falls out of style the same way. So that, that's, that's, if I, if I get it, that's kind of what you're getting at, that, that the franchising isn't quite the safe bet, or at least hasn't been proven to be the safe bet that everyone looks at it.
2: Yeah. I think that it's more about answering that question than is that being an obstacle that we can't get over. What is the plan that the publishers have? Um, and how, how will eSports evolve, and how will those leagues evolve as as the games do? We haven't really seen it answered yet, and that, that's I think probably the biggest challenge that we have to we have to take.
0: Tony, to you have the greatest challenge uh, facing eSports at the moment.
1: I think the greatest challenge is data analytics, accuracy of reporting, um, viewership, fan bases. You know, when we talk to partners that have worked with traditional sports teams, there's like a clear cut set of numbers that they expect to receive. That's not necessarily the case in eSports. There's so many different platforms where fans consume eSports. And a lot of fans, including myself, are going to consume esports across multiple platforms at the same time. So it's difficult to get an accurate viewership number, accurate fan demographic numbers. And, and as a result, it's difficult to set expectations for partners. But, you know, I'm hoping that there's going to start to be some solutions for this mess of data. Um, like I mentioned, HBSC-backed Company, Metrics just announced today and, and their tool is hopefully going to aid and, and bring some clarity around esports audiences. Um, yeah, I have a, a strong background in data analytics and, of course, data is a big part of my job since I work with our, our partners. So um, I do want to have some more clarity going forward on, on what the audience actually looks like. You know, are, are these true numbers? And I think that's going to help esports as a whole.
0: Second question is, uh, and I think this, this does tie into you know, the, the mainstream audience getting another taste of, of how big esports can get, is what is something those outside the industry get wrong about esports? What are some of the misconceptions?
2: For me, it's, um, it's definitely what an esport is and the definition of the word. So, you know, kind of, kind of two main points here. Um, is esports a sport? And is ninja part of esports? Um so I think from my perspective the answers to those questions aren't really important. Uh what's clear to me is that there is a huge demand for these types of gaming content especially the competitive side. Um and I think you know it's kind of the responsibility of Dignitas and, and others as esports entities to uh, react to that demand as it as it evolves and changes. So you
1: know I think it's similar to what James said, in a way, but I think there's still a misconception that watching video games is is not a spectator sport. Um, there's this well-known commercial that runs during ESL events, and it it cracks me up every time. It has a news anchor that I think his quote is, um, "You know, I can't understand people watching somebody play a computer game." Um, it drives me crazy every time, you know. And I think a lot of it's because maybe you have to you have to experience it to understand it. Um, You know, I've been playing competitive Counter-Strike for nearly two decades and it wasn't until I brought my mom to ESL 1 Cologne about two years ago that she finally got it. She finally understood when she sat in that audience and saw 10,000 people just screaming and getting so excited for these big moments. Um, She actually joined me at IEM Chicago just uh, two weeks ago and watched Team Liquid win in front of the American crowd. The audience was absolutely incredible. And she was she was on board with it. She she was able to experience that passion, that excitement. Um, I think that's, in, unless you're there, it's hard to really get it. Um, I really want more people to experience that so they understand it. And I think, you know, because we work with a company like HBSC that has the Philadelphia 76s and the New Jersey Devils, these athletes and these teams that are really well respected, I hope we can kind of use that as like a pipeline to to share, to share the passion of esports as well with people that don't necessarily have the opportunity to experience it.
0: That's usually my go-to strategy when I have a friend or maybe a family member who just does not quite get what it is I'm involved with in my day-to-day work. And I think I will <laughs> take them to an event if I have to drag you kicking and screaming into the stadium. Like that's the best way you get it done.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yep, that's the way to do it.
0: And so then, the last question is, what does eSports need more of
1: oh i, I get the easy answer here because it's women it's women in diversity um, you know I, again, I used to be the only woman in the room, and that's slowly changing, but it, it's not there yet you know I don't know the numbers off my head, but you look at the NFL and I think it's got an incredible female fan base, and they've done a great job about um, creating women's clothing lines, for example and and maybe it's less about the the hard hitting sport, and you know, understanding the athletes and their characters and their personalities. And you know, I, I hope to see teams do a better job of engaging their women fan bases. I hope to see more um, female um, brands come into the industry. For you know, we've again, we've got almost forty percent female following across the Dignitas social. That's absolutely incredible. Like, you know, Sephora, Ulta, um, Dove, they should be jumping at an opportunity to re- reach this young um, money-spending audience. So I-, I do hope that we see um, an increase in women in diversity.
0: And then from James, your, your answer to that, what what does esports need more of?
2: That is a, a tough question. <laughs> um, I think it's a weird answer, but I think it's time. Mm. Um, so esports is obviously, it's got huge growth um there is so many more things coming into the industry every week uh from fans to brands to uh even sports teams um and you know executives and you know i think in 5 years esports is going to be Im- unimaginably bigger than it is today um so it's a weird answer but time i think
0: that's all the questions I had. I just want to say, once again, thanks very much for for joining on the show. As we kind of start out by saying, Dignitas is one of the, the longest uh, running teams, and I'm really pleased to see that not only does it still continue today, but it's continuing to breach into new games. It's kind of going back into some of the old ones. I'm really excited to see the, the roster uh, play next year under the Dignitas banner again in the LCS. Uh, and then also, I'm interested to see what, what actually becomes of the company, because I think um you know, it's, it's been great to see the, the brand develop and, and, and the content that's come out of it. So great, great job on both of you guys. And, and thanks very much for joining.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Uh, we've got some exciting things coming and I hope everyone follows along.
2: Yeah. It's been my absolute pleasure uh, to be on the show. So thank you very much for the invite.
0: And that's the show. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to keep up to date with the latest esports business news you, you can find daily stories as well as features on our website esportsobserver.com you can have that sent straight to your mobile device by downloading the to news app available off of the app store and of course you can find us on social media we're on facebook we're on linkedin and under twitter under the handle esportsobserved. observed thanks very much for listening and i'll see you next time